Welcome to the Socialist Program. Today's bonus episode is a recording of our host, Brian Becker, delivering the keynote speech at the Los Angeles Socialism Conference, which took place on May 7th of this year. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Thank you, Samina, and thank you, Lillian, for that story that all of us who are in the PSL, we know that story. But it's important to retell because it's, in a way, a clear indicator of how change does happen. Many, many thousands of people were arrested during the nationwide uprising against racism. They were facing heavy charges, 50 years in prison. And I think when the attorneys first met with you, they were pretty much predicting that you were going to do some, some number of years in prison. And if you're not expecting that, if you're not expecting that, that's pretty shocking. You know, I'm older, obviously, and came from a period in the movement in the late 1960s and the early 1970s where repression was pretty constant. The Black Panther Party had 28 members of its organization executed by police. And Angela Davis was in prison and George Jackson was murdered and Jonathan Jackson and the entire state apparatus that came down against anti-war forces, people in the black and Latino and Puerto Rican liberation movement against the women's movement, the, what was at that time called the gay rights movement, the LGBT community standing up and fighting. The repression was pretty fierce. And I can remember one of the first conferences I went to, it started by saluting all of the comrades and activists who were either in prison or awaiting trial. And it went on for a half an hour. And I was so impressed that all of these brave, courageous people were fighting for justice in spite of all of this repression. And their bravery made me feel brave. So when you're expecting repression, when you're in a struggle, there's a social element of bravery. Matter of fact, bravery is basically social. People think about this hero or that hero. Heroism is a, largely a social function. So when you have a group of people who are arrested and they're not expecting it, and there's not lots of other people facing 50 years in prison, it takes a lot of courage, individual courage and bravery, but it also takes an organization like the one that Lillian talked about, our organization, PSL, that sprang into action. And all that we did in those hours, the minutes, the hours, the days afterwards, was to build solidarity. And we won. And winning was not simply exonerating them and making sure they didn't go to prison. But the killers of Elijah McClain are going on trial. 
And that would never have happened without this struggle. There's only one reason Derek Chauvin is in prison right now for killing George Floyd. But think about it when it takes 35 million people coming into the streets for six weeks so that one cop who obviously murdered someone in cold blood sat on his neck until he was dead. It takes 35 million people in this racist society to get a conviction against a killer cop. That shows that whatever reform that we get, any achievement that we have, like those achievements, those are few and far between. And when they culminate in a victory, as long as the same reactionary, racist, sexist, anti-worker, anti-lesbian, gay, bi, trans system exists, it will take it back. As soon as people are out of the streets, the streets get filled up by Proud Boys and Klan and Nazis. As soon as the people are out of the streets, the Supreme Court makes a decision to eviscerate and extinguish the rights of women all over this country and all other people who need abortion rights from exercising autonomy over their own bodies. The decision or the draft decision by the Supreme Court that was leaked to the media is a clear indication that abortion is about to become illegal and banned in states around the country. And when you look at the Republican legislatures that are going to ban them, that accounts for 58% of the women and girls in America are going to have laws passed that makes it illegal for them to terminate an unwanted pregnancy, that these mainly men, politicians, reactionaries are going to tell tens of millions of women and girls and others who need abortion rights that they can't have them. Now, when you think about that, there's a real important lesson to draw. Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973 when there was that massive movement for liberation from the black community, the struggle that started in Alabama, the most unlikely place where Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white man. And that triggered a virtual revolution in America that lasted 10 years. And then there was the Vietnam movement that was spawned from that movement and the women's movement and the gay and lesbian movement at that time, the movement of the disabled, all of these events happened, but as soon as the people were in the streets and strong enough, the ruling class started to make some concessions. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 that formally ended apartheid. Yes, the apartheid system was ended in 1964, but only legally, not really. It's still an apartheid system in America. And the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and then Roe v. Wade, and then later marriage equality. But as soon as the masses of people are not in the streets, as soon as the bourgeoisie, the government, the politicians, the reactionaries don't feel the fire from below on their feet, they start to work endlessly to take back the rights that we get.
We are at a crossroads. Our society, our country, and the planet Earth is at a crossroads. And we have to really be very serious about it. You know, we can't simply think about it in a lighthearted way, a superficial way. We can't simply be activists. We have to be thinkers. We have to be able to assess. We have to be able to analyze what's going on. We are at a fork in the road. When you think about the fact that the ruling class in the United States could take back Roe v. Wade, it's a clear indication, and if you read Judge Alito's draft opinion, which is not really a legal opinion, it's a political manifesto, it says essentially, and this is the legal, so-called legal reasoning, that any right that now exists that was not initially written down in the Constitution adopted in 1787, the same Constitution that identified enslaved human beings as three-fifths of a person legally in the United States, if it wasn't articulated and enunciated and written down in the Constitution in 1787 or in one of the subsequent amendments, that that's a right that doesn't really legally exist as a constitutionally enshrined right. That's the manifesto. It's on this legal reasoning, so-called, that abortion rights are about to be destroyed for the majority of women in America. That also means that all of the achievements of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, in other words, the struggle of the African-American community, which are obviously also not enshrined in the 1787 Constitution, will also be now marked for destruction. And you can see the evisceration of voting rights and the attack on voting rights for black Americans in particular, also for others, is widespread, it's nationwide, and it's gaining momentum. Well, I don't think the Constitution in 1787 said anything about marriage equality either. So that too will be on the chopping block and every other right that has been achieved as a consequence of the struggle of people to expand democracy, that's on the chopping block. That's what's coming. And the Democratic Party is telling us, well, look, the thing with abortion is really serious, and we're going to have large rallies perhaps next week and the message of those democratically oriented rallies will be let's vote for more Democrats in the midterm elections to stop, to stop this trend from continuing when the United States Congress is 100% under the control of the Democrats right now. The Democrats control the House. They control the Senate. They control the White House. When Obama was elected in 2008, they had a vast majority in the House. They had 59 Democratic senators. Obama was very popular. They could have done whatever they wanted to do then, and they did do whatever they wanted to do, and it did not include passing a law that said women and girls and others who want and need abortion rights and other health care services will never be denied. 
They could have passed that law, and they didn't. And they didn't because they didn't want to. And they could do the same thing now. They could say, well, we can't overcome the filibuster rule that requires 60 senators to vote on a piece of legislation if it comes through the Senate. Well, guess what? The filibuster isn't also in the 1787 Constitution. They could just say, the hell with the filibuster rule and end it. We're in a fork in the road, and if we listen to the Democratic Party, which is to say, don't go into the streets, don't be militant, don't fight, just keep voting for us, we are going to lose all of the basic rights that have been achieved as a consequence of a struggle by people in the last 70 years. Our parents, our grandparents, they died for those rights. Are we going to let those rights go and listen to the Democrats, or are we going to fight? It's basically that simple. We have to fight. We are at a fork in the road, and we have to do what the people who earlier went into the streets did in order to secure those rights in the first place. There's another fork in the road. Right now, there's a war going on in Ukraine. And all of the people of the United States are being told Russia is a terrible aggressor. Russia is killing Ukrainians. Putin is a madman. He's a demon. Well, you don't have to support Russia's invasion of Ukraine to at least understand why this war is happening. Because the reason the war is happening is that when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, when the socialist government of the Soviet Union was overthrown, when Russia was essentially on its knees and weak, the United States ruling class and the Pentagon decided to continue to move a US military alliance called NATO ever further east until it's right up on Russia's borders. And if Ukraine is admitted into NATO, the United States will place short range and medium range missiles, nuclear missiles and conventional missiles with a flight time of five minutes to their Russian targets and every political office, every military installation, every site of significance in Russia will be targeted with missiles that will devastate and destroy those sites. And that border between Russia and Ukraine is 1,200 miles long. And once those missiles are placed along the border targeting Russia, there will be no defense that Russia can ever muster. And the whole purpose of the US expansion of NATO to the east and the placement of missiles along this 1,200 long mile border is to reduce Russia as a major power so that the United States and the United States alone will determine and dictate the fate of the people of Eurasia. The same reason they're preparing for war against China. The Russians in December of 2021 amassed 150,000 troops along the border of Ukraine. And they said to the United States, Putin said it at his press conference, look, this is a red line. We as a Russian leadership, and no matter who we were, Putin, Yeltsin, wouldn't have mattered who it is, we can never accept you placing these missiles on our border just like you would never let Russia placing missiles that could reach their American targets in six minutes all along the U.S.
Canadian border or the U.S.-Mexican border. The United States would never tolerate that from Russia or any other country. And we, Russia, won't tolerate it either. To which the United States said, your demands are non-starters. You don't tell us where we put our missiles. You don't dictate to us. And instead of negotiating with the Russians, the U.S. in December, January, and February sent more than $10 billion more weapons to Ukraine. They wanted the war. The U.S. wanted the war. The U.S. knew that ultimately Russia would either capitulate, in which case Putin would look like a weakling, something clearly Putin wasn't going to do, or the, or the Russians would take some military action. The Russians did take a military action. The United States was then able to get all of Europe behind NATO expansion. The United States is now talking about doubling the U.S. military budget. Doubling the U.S. military budget. The U.S. military budget now is $800 billion. That's just for the Department of Defense. When you include the Department of Energy and National Intelligence, it's $1 trillion. You know what the Russian military budget is? It's 60 billion. It's less than 10% of the American military budget. Less than 10%. The US threatens North Korea and says North Korea is threatening the United States. What's the military budget of North Korea? It's smaller than the New York City Police Department budget. <laughs> Literally. It's four, less than $4 billion. So here you have a situation where the American people are being spoon-fed pro-war propaganda so that we can say, yeah, we have to help those poor Ukrainians. We want to stop the bleeding. And of course, we do want to stop the bleeding. The way to stop the bleeding would be to go to the negotiating table and say yes instead of no to Russia's legitimate security concerns that America doesn't need to put missiles that will destroy Russia on its own border. But that the United States won't do. But if you, what the US media and the politicians are telling us is, if you want to help the poor Ukrainians, Americans, stop thinking, put your hand on the heart, on your heart, salute the flag, and say yes to the doubling of the US military budget at the very moment that the uninsured have lost all of their emergency COVID medical aid on the basis that the US doesn't have the money for that kind of an expenditure. So if we go along with the war propaganda, what we will be doing is sacrificing the national treasury to the military industrial complex that lives off of and benefits and profits from endless war. They're very happy. The stock market might be crashing, but it's not crashing for the military contractors. They're very, very happy. And also, this is a fork in the road because this is going to lead very possibly to a global war. And I think it's really important that people, again, think. Think about what's going to happen. The US is saying now, not about negotiations, but we must defeat the Russians. So they want to win. The US wants to win and only win, not negotiate. And the Russians are saying, we will not lose. So if the US is determined to win and the Russians are determined not to lose, and both sides have nuclear weapons, where does it go? Where does it go? It goes up, it escalates. 
This will very rapidly turn into a global conflict of the first magnitude unless there's a ceasefire or a negotiated end of the war very quickly. That's a fork in the road. If people think that nuclear war is a joke, the U.S. has spent 10 to 11 trillion dollars on nuclear weapons. There's another fork in the road. Every scientific, every credible scientific group tells us that we are close to a tipping point in terms of global warming and climate catastrophe. And that there needs to be a sudden, radical reorganization of the economy and the use of energy such that we no longer continue to use fossil fuels at the level we have been using, and we need to actually abandon them and use renewable energy sources. The writing is on the wall. The writing is on the wall. If this was put to a vote to the American people, would you rather reorganize the economy, make it affordable and sustainable, and use renewable energy in the next 10 or 15 years, or face possible mass extinction, I think people would vote the right way. But that vote will never come up, because the people who are making the decisions are in the boardrooms of ExxonMobil and Chevron, and the politicians who are in their back pocket in Congress and their Democrats and Republicans alike. We have to act now to reorganize the economy, in other words, to take it out of the hands of the capitalists and make it under the control of the people right now, very soon at least, in order to save the human race, to save other living species, to save civilization and the planet Earth as we know it today. That's a fork in the road. When you think about these existential crises, the three that I've outlined, you have to come to the conclusion that this is serious, that we are serious about the need for radical change. We are not playing. This is not a game. This is for real. This is about our families. It's about our neighborhood. It's about the planet Earth. And with that sort of seriousness, we're building a movement, and we're creating and have created an organization and a political party such that it can talk about and organize around not this issue or that issue, but all of these interconnected issues because they are all interconnected. And the thing that really connects them most firmly is that the problems we face are rooted in a particular social and economic order. It's called capitalism. It had its day just as feudalism had its day and we should get rid of it the way we got rid of feudalism. This social and economic order is taking all of us to the brink of catastrophe and disaster, and we can and must change it. And to do that, you need organization, you need a movement, you need a political party, and we need you, if you're not in the party, to join us as organizers. Thank you very much. We're going to hear from Manolo. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. 
If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. 